0: let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight o lord my rock and my redeemer you're listening to faith seeking understanding i'm your host john green thanks for being along today Um, it's we're continuing our look at uh, the gospel of matthew we're in the ninth chapter um today we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 26 and it's two different miracles that jesus did and they have something in common um it, there, this is not where they're where these are found in the other gospel in the other synoptic gospels uh, in the other synoptic gospels. These come directly after Jesus returns from uh, the country of the Gadarenes, Gerasenes, from the Decapolis. Um, it, it, they, it follows directly upon those, and there's a reason I believe that they're arranged that way in the other gospels, and that is that they're they're serving. A particular point because he has gone to the land of the of the uh, these pagans. In the Decapolis there, he has acquired so much ritual defilement, defilement, it's absolutely unbelievable. He lands on the shore, goes to the tombs among the dead. You've got um, the, the this in the other Gospels. You have this one man who is there. He's cutting himself, so there's blood. He's among the dead. There's blood. There's pigs. There's demons. There's pagans. I mean, all this stuff. And then he comes back. And then when he comes back, is when this episode shows up there. And so I, I think it's just this constant um, increasing defilement that, that's listed there. And here, I, I don't know what the right order is. I mean, obviously, I have no earthly idea <laughs> whether it happened the way they tell it or whether it fits into the order here that Matthew has. But we know at this point Matthew would have been an eyewitness to this in a way that, that we, we just don't know. If he was a witness to what happened over in the decapolis with the uh the the uh, setting the the demonic uh oppression free and so here what we get is because as we got intervening here we have jesus coming back then he heals a paralytic he calls matthew uh, then they, he at, has to answer the question from John's disciples about fasting, and now we come to, to those events. But like I said, so I've given you the setting from the other Gospels, and now I'm getting you into, to, into Matthew's setting is different. It's not the same timing, or at least it doesn't look like the same timing to me. There, there's there's a, at least a day or two has, has come in between these. We just don't know how much, but we know it's, it couldn't possibly be the same day. So anyway, here, while he was saying these things to them, what were these things to whom, what he had just told John's disciples was, is that that uh, with concerning their question regarding why he and the disciples weren't fasting, while John's disciples and the Pharisees were, Jesus says, when the bridegroom is among them, you don't fast. So while he was saying these things to them, so these things had to do with fasting and his claim to be the bridegroom, and that when the bridegroom's there, all bets are off and all rules no longer apply. And and then, he so he's telling them that while he was saying these things, a ruler came. And we know from the other um, Gospels, this is a synagogue ruler. So it's a Jewish person who is coming here. And, and it's up in Capernaum, by the way. This is where Jesus is, is, is living at this time. So he says, the ruler comes and says, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Well, that's an, it's, it's, it, there's an interesting two things going on with this, and what are those two things, right? So the first thing is that the daughter has died, and then he asked Jesus to lay his hand on her. That is an interesting idea. Because conflict with a dead body it constitutes absolute defilement. And, and Jewish people would have avoided that so much. It's unbelievable. But this man, this man believes that if Jesus does this, if he lays a hand on her, then she'll live. So, like I said, touching dead bodies, verboten in Judaism, not something you do. Um. And yet this guy invites Jesus to come and touch her in the same way he touched the leper. I wonder if he heard that story. I wonder if he had heard the story that Jesus touched the leper and removed defilement and made the man clean. And in the same way, this ruler believes if Jesus lays a hand on her, then he he will change her status from death to life. So maybe he's heard that story. Maybe he understands what I call the math. And that with Jesus the math rules are changed. And and to repeat the math rules I'm talking about, there's the basic state of a human being is just the basic state of a human being. You can contact defilement by contacting dead bodies, by you're going to see in a second a woman with an issue of blood. There's multiple ways you can contact defilement. And so now you're unclean. And unclean for the purposes of entering the temple, entering the synagogue, all those kinds of things. And, And those can be fixed, in most cases, by a sacrifice. So, if you come into contact with that then you're you're there, there's a season of time though when you're not going to be allowed to come in and so that that season of time changes depending on what the defilement was but any so it, so you're un, that, those things are all unclean the the blood death um, leprosy all those things so if you touch those things come into contact with them then you're rendered unclean as well for a season of time the the person with the defilement is not clean until they're clean. They are unclean so long as the condition persists. But if you come into contact with it, then you have contacted their defilement. So you you, you have now become unclean. You can become clean by waiting the proper period of time and all that. I mean, sort of the same way that it worked with, with COVID, Right, You had to quarantine for some period of time, and then they did all that contact tracing. That's a very similar way of looking at things. So at any rate, so, so he's asking Jesus to touch his daughter who has died. And as I said, according to the Jewish math, the biblical math, they didn't make it up. This is the way God said it was going to be. There's nothing ever makes something clean. Only God makes something clean. So you can't touch something and make it clean. Only God can clean that defilement. He has to heal the person of leprosy, heal the person of, um, of the issue of blood. And in the case of death, there's, there's nothing that can be done. So that, that person remains unclean. That's the reason I said they had to whitewash the tombs during pilgrim festivals to make sure that the pilgrims coming into town, who didn't know where all the tombs were, were very well aware because they could see that what was whitewashed was the tomb. And then they could avoid that contact. So it, th- th- that math only works one way. Clean plus unclean makes the clean thing unclean. And so cleanliness is actually is next to godliness because only God can do it. But here what's happened, and, and I, like I said, I believe this guy had to know this, was is that when Jesus touched the leper, he touched an unclean thing, and that unclean thing became clean. And, and now the math doesn't work because it only works one way it only works that uncleanliness defiles nothing changed other than God changes something from unclean to clean. but Jesus did it and now we, so I, it should have made you defiled and unclean but that's but you made that clean so I, I'm not really sure how to do the math. I don't know whether you have to not come into the temple or not I'm not sure. So that, that's kind of what's happened here. She's, she's just died, but come and lay a hand on her and she'll live. I mean, you know, th- this is ramping things up to a whole different level, right? I mean, he, he's he's cleansed the leper. He has um, healed a paralytic. And he he's done, the, he healed the centurion's servant. But death, this guy believes. This guy believes Jesus can raise her from the dead. She will live if you'll lay your hand on her. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. I mean, so now you've got Jewish establishment people. But <laughs> the exception is he's desperate because his daughters died. His daughters died. So he's desperate. It doesn't matter. I don't have to align myself with you theologically here. I have a need. And I believe from what I've heard, you can do something about it. And so come on. So Jesus does. And then, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. She has this incredible faith. Now, one of the things that you should know is, is that in the hem of the garment, the, the fringe that she's touching, th- that would have def- identified him, that fringe, that, that those, those would identify a person as, a, as who they are. And, and so the belief was is that, that if you were a rich person, you had a certain kind of fringe on your garment, and then that garment would have aden- that fringe would have identified you in that way, and it would have been the sign and the symbol of your power. So, so depending on where your st- station situation was in the world, that would define you, and, and if you were a person of power, then the power was inherent and, and shown in the fringe of the garment. It told who you were and what kind of power you had. And so here she says, if I just touch the garment, I can be healed. And so she touches it, and that's where the power would be. So it's not a superstitious thing, but at some level, it, it, it's connecting with this cultural idea of the power being in the fringe of the, of the garment. And so she just reaches out to touch that. And Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, take heart, my daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly... The woman was made well so in the other gospels there's some question about who, who did this and she has to identify herself um now did jesus know her did he know what her situation was i mean it seems reasonably likely that he would have because you're not talking about being in jerusalem you're talking about there in there in capernaum and so it's it's not a huge place and and she would probably have been pretty well known because she would have been somebody who would have been an outcast at some level, she would have had to have avoided contact with people no less than, than than the man with the um, the, the leper, and so because she's had this for twelve years, and so along the way it would have, it would have been clear to everybody, and everybody would have had an opinion about this woman that God has somehow cursed her. She must have done something horrible to deserve this situation where she can't come near other people, can't be part of the community, and can't um, participate in, in synagogue and things like that. And so here, though, she's made well. So this contact, again, is that same math. She, she by touching him, should have communicated her defilement to him, but his holiness conferred cleanness and healing and wholeness to her, But the the synagogue ruler, I mean, he could have just rolled his eyes and said, I, I don't believe you just did that. Because now he, he's come into contact with this defilement. Can he come into my house? And well, he's coming in to see a dead girl. So I guess it isn't going to matter at this point. My whole house is defiled. <clears throat> but and when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, those are paid mourners. That's who these people are. They're, they're there specifically to, to lead the mourning and to announce the death, essentially. That way, everybody's going to know, oh my gosh, there they are. They're the mourners. He said, go away, for the girl's not dead, but sleeping. That's very interesting, right? Because that's pretty much exactly what he tells the disciples in John 11 about Lazarus. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, there's no reason for us to go, And he said, no, I mean, he's dead. But here, he says, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They knew she was dead. They knew the difference between sleeping and death, they thought. (laughs) They're going to have to accept Jesus' definition, though, aren't they? So she's in an intermediate state. Because if you understand the, the conception of that Jews had concerning death, is that is the soul remained close to the body, kept an eye on the body for three days after death to see if it would revive. And after three days, it was thought that it was impossible for it to revive. And so the soul would abandon the body, and then you would not only be merely dead, you'd really be most sincerely dead, like the Wicked Witch in Wizard of Oz. And so here... It, the impression is, is that this had just happened, but they're absolutely certain that she has died in a very clinical sense. But Jesus said she's sleeping, and that would put her, like I said, in an, in sort of that intermediate state in his mind. That's his definition because they laugh at him, so we know they didn't accept his definition at all. <clears throat> So they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put upside, he went in and took her by the hand. So he did what the father asked, right? He laid his hand on her. He took her by the hand. And the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. I'll bet it did. (laughs) I'll absolutely bet that it did. I'd love to know what happens to this guy, what happens to that girl, and what happens to the woman. I'd like to know. How these people perceived and thought through everything else that's going to happen in the rest of Jesus's life, including his death on the cross. I'd like to know, were they there when they crucified my Lord? I'd like to know, were they present? Did they see? Did they continue to believe? Because here today, at least the ruler and the woman with the issue of blood believed. But you know, the truth is, I've seen it. I've seen it not just in other people, but I've seen it in myself. I've seen great miracles. I've seen God do things that, that nobody thought was possible. And yet, it, that, that sense of God did miracles here doesn't always sustain us, right? I mean, along the way, there are going to be crises of faith. And so, did they persevere? And it largely depends on what they believed. You know, did they believe Jesus was healer or did they believe he was Messiah? And if they believed he was Messiah, did they believe he was the kind of Messiah that he was? Or did they believe that he was uh, intended to be this Davidic king and he was just, well, a great healer ultimately and not the Messiah? What did their belief continue to be? It is a challenge for us always when we've seen something great, when we've seen Jesus do something that we can't deny that he did what do we continue? How does our faith continue? Do, do we have faith in the right thing at the right time? He doesn't always heal. And as I said, at Will's funeral, you know, Lazarus died ultimately. He's not still walking among us, but his family couldn't possibly have thought, well, that diminishes the miracle of his raising him from the dead. You, you can't possibly think that, except you can And so my challenge to you is is that I don't know where your faith is today. I don't know if you're wavering or struggling or whatever, but fall back on what you know. Fall back on what you know. If you've seen him do great things, if you've seen his salvation, if you've experienced it in your life, the sweetness of Jesus, then go back to that. Go back to that place and say, I know who you are. I know that that was not a lie. I know that was a real thing, and I'm holding on to the real No matter what my situation today might be, I'm holding on to the real. And I'm holding on to the real experience that I have of Jesus Christ and his power. And I'm going to hang on to that to the end. Because I know who he is. I know what he has done in my life. I know what he's done in so many other lives. And just because I'm struggling doesn't mean that my faith should struggle. I'm going to hold on. And I'm going to reach out for the fringe of his garment and see if he'll make me whole. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.